Hello, podcast listeners. This sermon is from the second Sunday of Easter in year B, and my sermon title is called, But You're Still a Bigger Sinner Than I Am. The epistles or letters of John are not likely the same author as the Gospel of John, although they come from the same school of thought, and so might be from disciples of John or from others of his church community. To simplify things, though, I will refer to the author as simply John. We're seeing how some of John's opponents didn't believe in the physical manifestation of God in Christ. They only proclaimed a spiritual presence. Some also likely claimed to be sinless in comparison to many of John's community. As we move into the Easter season, I'll be preaching on 1 John and talking about how we are abiding in the resurrection. And so I invite you now to hear this good word. We declare to you what was from the beginning, What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, this life was revealed and we have seen it and testified to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin." If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. Gracious God, we do not seek to set ourselves up as sinless, but we also want to live out the gift of Christ in a way that honors our forgiveness. Help us to abide in the resurrection through this scripture today. Amen. Well, COVID-19 hasn't completely leveled the playing field in the world today. Rich countries will be vaccinated faster than poor ones, and medical access is better in some parts of the world than others if you do get sick. But there are certain universals, like trying to make an appointment online using the portal and how difficult that can be. Early on, when vaccinations were limited, it did create some traffic jams. In South Carolina, the town of Mount Pleasant and local hospitals partnered for a drive through clinic at Seacoast Church in January with a goal to reach more eligible residents and helping them receive the vaccine in a safe environment. But leaders say that a computer glitch led to a traffic backup that lasted more than an hour. So Mayor Will Haney decided to reach out to the real experts in moving people through drive throughs He called Jerry Wachowiak, who just happens to be the manager of the local Chick-fil-A restaurant. Mayor Haney explained how things got sorted out. After he looked it over, he said, there's your problem right there. It's backed up because you have only one person checking people in. 
Then he showed us how to do it right. Wachowiak mobilized a bunch of volunteers from the local Rotary Club, and before long, the hour-long wait had been trimmed to a more manageable 15 minutes. Now, a lot of times, society at large doesn't hold fast food workers in the highest esteem. But Mayor Haney didn't look down on Wachowiak, but in fact saw that he held needed expertise. This is the kind of humility that Christians are invited to display to others. Sometimes Christians have been known for looking down on others. In fact, we can be seen as rather judgmental. How many of you have ever encountered a judgmental Christian? In 1 John, we see that there was a sect of Christians that were so high and mighty that they didn't think that they had sinned at all. John states that if you claim you're without sin, you're in fact a liar, which is a sin. And so there you go. I'm not sure how Christians started looking down on the sins of others because it's not a very good look for us. But it doesn't seem to have died with that strange sect that John encountered so many years ago. I remember when I was in college, Jim Baker was a big televangelist in the Assemblies of God. I probably remember him because my grandmother was in the Assemblies of God and he used to be on their TV sets whenever we would go and visit. Well, he was caught in a sex scandal with church secretary Jessica Hahn, which ultimately exposed his financial mismanagement. He happened to be skimming off the top of donations, which led him to serve five years in prison. And during that time, fellow Assembly of God preacher Jimmy Swaggart, who was also a favorite of my grandma's, well, he called Jim Baker a cancer on the body of Christ. And he didn't really speak about forgiving him, but rather judged him pretty thoroughly. Then Swaggart was caught the next year in his own scandal, and he had the famous, I have sinned line, which he cried on television. And even though Swaggart treated Baker harshly, my grandma still forgave him. My mom didn't, though. I remember her saying that she thought that he was crying crocodile tears. I was only about 18 or 19 at the time, and I remember thinking that Swaggart was pretty old. And when I was doing the research for this sermon, I was sad to discover that he was 52, which is my age today. <laughs> the real difficulty that people had with Swaggart was how he regularly trashed other preachers, especially if he didn't agree with their theologies. He was always ready to dish it out. And then when he fell, it was a very long fall because he had propped himself up so high on that pedestal. He had no sense of humility which is the idea that we are all beloved by God, and so all are worthy of our respect. Now, I recognize the irony of me calling out Swaggart for calling out other preachers. There's just no good way to do that. But what I do want to emphasize is that we are to cultivate humility. That's according to our scripture passage from 1 John today. We are not to walk around as if we have never sinned. We should not be projecting this image because to do so is in a sense to cast aside the forgiveness that we have in the risen Christ. We're trying to set ourselves up above others. So a couple of years later in college, I got really irritated at our campus ministry prayer group meeting. We would meet on Tuesday evenings at 10 p.m. and have a short devotion and people would tell joys and concerns and then one of us would pray for everyone and that'd be it. But there was this one time where this guy really ticked me off. It was because his devotion was all about how sinful we were because we would go out dancing on the weekends. 
Now, let me be clear. This didn't irritate me because it wasn't true. <laughs> we were all sinners, but it was, it was because he was wagging his finger in our faces like this, like he was so superior. And John says today that this is, in essence, denying the resurrection. We are saying that we don't need forgiveness, in a sense. I recently led some Sunday school classes through Roberta Bondi's book, To Love As God Loves. Now, she illustrates her book with stories of the ancient monastics. And my favorite one is about Abba Moses, who was this great African monk who had been a highway robber in his former life. So there was a brother at Cetus that committed a fault, and a council was called to which Abba Moses was invited, but he refused to go to it. Then a priest sent someone to say to him, Come, for everyone is waiting for you. So he got up and went. But he took a leaking jug and filled it with water and carried it with him. The others came out to meet him and said, What is this, Father? The old man said to them, My sins run out behind me, and I do not see them. And today I am coming to judge the errors of another. When they heard that, they said no more to the brother, but forgave him. Now, this story is not to say that we don't have standards. It is not to say that we don't hold one another accountable. But sometimes we may need more accountability in our forgiveness of others. And what this means is that we have to ask ourselves, what is coming up short in me that I feel the need to judge someone else? Am I just comparing myself to others to make myself look better? When I do this, I am not abiding in the resurrection, but in fact, adding to the suffering in the world. Humility is recognizing that all people are children of God. Another person is just as beloved as I am. But you're a preacher. Doesn't that get you any special recognition, like a larger mansion in heaven or something? Now, this kind of thinking can get you into trouble, and you have to start asking yourself about your own motivation. Do you need to be seen as better than others? If so, why is that? In his article, The Deeper Roots of Youth Anxiety, college professor Joseph E. Davis tells the story about one of a growing number of students who are struggling with deep anxiety. Megan, a 19-year-old scholarship student, is frustrated and despairing of herself. She explains that she is attending her safety school and wants to show that I should be somewhere better by acing all of my classes and being president of like 40 organizations. But, she adds, that is really not happening. I am, if anything, a mediocre student. And that just makes me so angry at the world and then at myself for not being the best person. Although she wants to impress someone, she says, I end up being impressively unimpressive. And that just crushes me. I wonder if this was the problem that the sect that John was dealing with in today's letter was struggling with. He states, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What does it mean to offer grace to the world? As Christians, I think this is what it means to abide in the resurrection. We are offering grace in a way where we do not feel the need to judge one another. We are secure in our faith, in the love of God for us, and we show it by not judging, but by our willingness to forgive. 
I invite you to abide in the resurrection today. When we do, we don't see the sins of others as much as we see the value of others. Now that's a joy we should all be able to get behind. Amen.